Thanks for joining us for another great message from Futures Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to futures.church. And now for our message. Well, good morning. It's great to see you today. Uh, My name's Tony Corbridge. I'm the campus pastor. If you're new here today, so glad you could join us. I love having new people here at Futures Church. And uh, we're gonna come around the Word, as I said. And today, we're gonna start a brand new series, uh, being the first Sunday of the month. We're gonna start a series that we've titled, In Jesus' Name, In Jesus' Name. And uh, throughout the month of August, we're actually gonna look at the different names that the Spirit reveals to us in Scripture uh, for the for God, different names of God that culminate in the life of Jesus Christ. And our hope is as we look at the different names that the Bible reveals to us that we'd all come away just knowing God a little bit more. Just having deepened our relationship with Him. You know, you can never know all there is to know about God. He's too awesome. He's too magnificent. He's too amazing. But as we pursue Him, we do grow to learn more. And I pray that that would bless you as we do that together. Now, most of you would know that I have two children, uh, me and my wife, Oster. We have two kids, Talia, who's 15, and uh, my son, Liam, who just yesterday turned 14 years old. So we have two teenagers in our house and so far, so good. They're amazing. We're doing really well and we love them very much. But I remember uh, when uh, Oster fell pregnant with Talia and then 15 months later with Liam and we had to come up with some names for our kids. What were we going to name them? And I remember going through the process of that. Um, The first, naming Talia was actually not too difficult because when I was in high school, I heard the name Talia. Now back then, that wasn't a very common name. Now, uh, a lot of people are called Talia. Um, But I remember in high school hearing that name and thinking, you know what, I really like that name. If I ever have a daughter, I wanna call her Talia. And uh, when we found out we were having a girl, I shared it with Oster and thankfully she liked the name too. And so our daughter got called Talia. But with our second child, a son, Liam, that name was a little bit more difficult. We didn't have a boy's name automatically. We had to look through a bunch. I remember like spending weeks looking through baby name books and going on internet sites and looking up, you know, a hundred top boys' names and all these different things to try to find a name that was just right for them because we didn't want to just pick a, a random name out of a hat. We wanted to pick a name that had some meaning behind it. And we also had two criteria. The two basic criteria when we were deciding on their names. And I can't remember why exactly these were important, but uh, they were at the time. The first was that it couldn't be a name that could be shortened or be made into a nickname, right? So Talia and Liam. Although I did break that rule because I do call my daughter Tata, right? Now the reason I call her Tata, and I don't want to embarrass her, I probably am, but is because when she was learning to speak, that's how she'd pronounce her name, right? So that's just for me, that's special you have to call her Talia, right? That's right. She'll get upset with me otherwise, right? Especially you youth, because you'll make fun of it. But it's Talia. And, uh, and then our son, he obviously called Liam, right? And uh, the other, so that was the first criteria that, you know, they couldn't be shortened or made into a nickname. That was just something we decided on. The other was that we wouldn't give them names that the kids could pay out at school, right? Or make fun of or turn into something else. And so, Those were two very important things to us. And so we ended up calling our daughter Talia Nina Corbridge. 
And the reason why her middle name is Nina is because that's Oster's mum's middle name. And so we passed that down to her. We thought that was a cool thing to do. And then our son, his name is Liam Magnus Corbridge, right? I actually wanted, I was thinking we should, I wanted his first name to be Magnus at one stage because my wife's Norwegian and that's a, a name that's associated with royalty, right? So we thought Liam Magnus Corbridge, right? So, um, so we thought that was pretty cool. And so you can tell when we named them, we gave it some thought. We had some reasoning behind it and we, we understood that a name sticks with you, right? It stays with you the rest of your life. It precedes you. It even has a reputation at times attached to it. So we wanted to give them names that had some meaning and significance behind them. And I'm sure if you're a parent, uh, you've done the same thing. You went through that same process of thinking, what are we gonna name our children? Because it was important what you name them. Now in biblical times, names were very important. Uh, They certainly were much more than just a label you called someone. But in biblical times, your name carried deep, significant meaning for you and for your parents. For example, we see in the Bible, parents name their children based after how they were feeling emotionally at the time. Uh, For example, we see uh, in Genesis 29, uh, we see see this happen multiple times with Leah when she had her children. It says in Genesis 29 verse 31, It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, He enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Then she conceived again and she gave birth to another son. And she said, because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, He gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she, so, uh, she named him Levi and she conceived again and she gave birth to a son and she said, this time I'll praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. So you see, she's naming her children after how she was feeling emotionally at the time. Now, another way that they would name children in the Bible was to give them names that would become a proclamation of the type of character that child was expected to have when they grew up. For example, if their parent would name their child Joy, then the expectation was that they would grow up to be a joyful person. Or if they named their child Grace, the expectation was that they'd grow up to be a graceful person. Or if they named their child Tony, the expectation was they'd grow up to be awesome, right? So, <laughs> so they would name their child after what their character was expected to be. And so your name donated, or, or, yeah, donated a person's character. An example of this in the Bible is Jacob. So Jacob, who's a well-known character in the Bible, his name means supplanter, or more specifically, to seize or take the place of someone. And that's exactly the type of character that Jacob had. He, he was, a, he was a, a, a cunning, conniving person. And we even see this played out in relationship with his brother Esau in that he um, convinced his brother Esau to sell his birthright to him for a pot of stew. And essentially then he took the blessing that should have gone to his brother and he took it for himself. Right? And so this name represented his character, this name Jacob. And we see this throughout the Bible that names 
speak a lot about a person's character. In fact, a name so represented a, character, a person's character that if a person's character significantly changed, sometimes their name would change too. And we see this also take place in Jacob's life as well. In Genesis 32, there's this moment where Jacob wrestles with God. And it says in Genesis 32, 24, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And we believe that's God. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And the name Israel, it means he strives with God. Right, so in this moment, his character has changed from being a supplanter, from being someone who, who's, who's conniving, who's, who's trying to take other people's place. And his character has changed to now he's someone who strives after God. And so God gives him a new name. He takes him from being Jacob to now being named Israel. And we see this happen in different people's lives throughout the Bible as well. We see this happen in the life of Abram who became Abraham and, and Sarai who became Sarah. And even in the New Testament, Saul takes on the name Paul and even Simon would become to be known as Peter. In fact, in Simon's case, his name originally means reed. Right? So like a reed that sways in the breeze and it meant that his type of character was someone who was unstable or who was easily swayed uh, by different thinking and opinion. But after he encounters Jesus, Jesus begins to call Simon Peter. And Peter means something very different. Peter means rock. It means immovable or steadfast and solid in faith. Now, what's significant about this, and this is so encouraging for us, what's significant about this is that from the first time that Jesus meets Peter, he's, sorry, from the first time Jesus meets Simon, he starts calling him Peter. And so he, he's been someone who's unstable, swayed around. He encounters Jesus and Jesus starts calling him Peter and yet nothing in his character has yet changed. And in fact, it's even after this time, we see Peter a little later on after Jesus is arrested, he denies even knowing Jesus three times. You know, that doesn't sound like someone who's really rock solid in their faith. But here's where Jesus is so amazing. Is that when He sees you, He doesn't call you as you are. He calls you as what He knows you can become. And so, so Simon hadn't arrived in that place yet, but Jesus knew who He truly was. And He started calling it out of Him. This is so wonderful about Jesus. Uh, perhaps a better way to say it is He started calling Him who He truly was. And I believe Jesus does the same thing with you and I. He doesn't look at you and call you where you are. He calls you what you will become through Him working in your life. In fact, in Revelation 3, it seems to suggest that when we give our life to Christ, that we're also given a new name. It says in Revelation 3.12, it says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to the faith you have so that no one can take away your crown. Those who win the victory will be pillars in the temple of my God. 
I will make that happen for them. They will never again have to leave God's temple. Here it is. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. That city is the new Jerusalem. It is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write my new name on them. You see, to everyone else, you still have the same name as was, as was on your birth certificate. But when you gave your life to Christ, something changed in the Spirit. You got given a new name, one that is yet to be revealed, but that fully represents who you will become through Jesus Christ. That, that's one of the reasons why after you give your life to Jesus, you, you, there's, this, there's this sort of like rediscovering of yourself. It's all like, hang on, who, who am I now? Because I used to like certain things and now I don't tend to like them so much. Or I used to say certain things and now I, I feel like I shouldn't say those things. Or I used to go certain places and now I feel like, you know, that doesn't suit me anymore. That's because before you knew Christ, the world was telling you what you should be. But after you met Christ, suddenly He's awakened to you to who you really are. And He gives you a new name. He puts on you the name that is yet to be revealed, but fully represents who you are becoming through Jesus Christ. You see, so why, why, why do you need to know that? Why do you need to know that the name is so significant? I want you to know that because I want you to know that God, when God reveals to us His name, He isn't just providing us a label to call Him. But what He's providing us is a revelation of His character that helps us understand who He is and what He can do. He's revealing to us a part of His character that He wants us to be able to fully trust and believe in. And so with the rest of the time I have this morning, I want us to look at one of the names that the Spirit reveals to us through Scripture to describe God. And the particular name I wanna focus on today is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Which means the Lord will provide. In fact, more specifically, it means the Lord will see to it. I like that. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it. Now, before we dive into this, I think it's important for us to define provision. Because I think whenever we mention the word provision, that in our natural thinking, we go straight to thinking about material possessions and money. And absolutely, God can provide those things. And I'm so thankful when He does. But if we limit His provision to only that, we're really restricting what we can expect. Because His provision is so much greater than just material things. Like for example, in God is found the provision of supernatural peace. In God is found the provision of joy, everlasting. In God is found the provision of a sound mind. In God is found the provision of rest, of hope, of purpose, of acceptance. In God is found the provision of abundant life. Right? There's so many, many things that are found 
in God. So when we're talking about the provision that comes from God, we're talking about God's ability to provide us all that we need in every situation so that we are fully satisfied, amen? So I want us to keep that in mind as we look at this this morning. And so I wanna encourage you as well is that whatever need you have, whatever area you feel that you lack, whatever place in your life that you feel unfulfilled, that Jehovah Jireh can provide it. That you don't need to look elsewhere, that God is your answer. He can provide for that need. He can fully satisfy, He can fully fulfill. However, there's a but. But sometimes it requires something of us first. So let me show you what I mean. In Genesis 22, God presents Abraham with a test. A test which is probably undoubtedly one of the most challenging, if not the most challenging test a person has ever had to go through. It says this in Genesis 22 verse one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and He said to him, Abraham, here I am, He replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now I want you to imagine for a moment what must have been going through Abraham's mind when God said to him, I want you to sacrifice your son. Like I, I'm a parent, I, I, I cannot even comprehend. How, how, do you, how do you process a request like that? Take your son, your only son whom you love and sacrifice him. I, I wanna say if you're new to church, that sacrificing children is not a practice of Christianity. I do think that's important to say. <laughs> because his, God, He's not about death, He's about life. He sent His Son though, so that we might have life and have it abundantly. And so God's not about uh, uh, killing children or sacrificing children. And that's not what He's doing here either. And we'll see that in a moment. But what He is doing is He's testing Abraham. And He's testing to see if he's ready to receive the great things that he has in store for his future. And he's doing this, he's testing him to see how committed his heart is to God. And he's doing it by seeing, are you more in love with the blessing or the blesser? You see, because something I haven't mentioned is that the son that God is asking Abraham to sacrifice is a son that him and his wife had prayed for decades that God would bless them with. The Bible tells us that, that Sarah, his wife, she was barren. She was unable to have children. After years and years of trying, she did not fall pregnant. And they'd given up. And then it tells us in Genesis that later on, it says once they're past their childbearing years, God actually answered the prayers that they had prayed years before and blessed them with a son. And that son was Isaac. And so here's God saying, now I bless you with a son, now I want you to sacrifice him back to me. 
Like it's just as if it wasn't difficult already. As if the situation wasn't impossible already. Now God's saying, I want you to offer up the thing, the one that you love and that I've blessed you with. So faced with what is probably the most difficult of decisions that anyone would have to make, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Abraham had some hesitation. If Abraham was like, you know, God, I need some more confirmation. God, I need to go, can I go on a 40 day fast at least? And yet it tells us in the very next verse, it says, so he got up early the next morning, prepared things and started out. Like, how's that possible? How's it possible that he could just respond so quickly? You know, I'm I'm not sure, but here's what it says to me is that Abraham was a man of radical obedience. And I don't know about you, but I'm incredibly challenged by that. Because God has asked me often to do things that are far less than that, and I still have some hesitation. Like you ever had a situation where God has said, hey, I want you to go and pray for that person or I want you to, to, to get involved in that thing. Or, I want you to try that out. I know you haven't done it before, but I want you to try it out. And you're like, God, okay, I'll do it. But only if at 12 p.m. tomorrow, a pink car drives past my office window, will I know that it's true, right? Or only if I wake up in the morning and I see the word go on my ceiling, am I gonna do it, right? Like we put out these big fleeces. And yet here's Abraham, gets up early the next morning and sets out to do exactly what God has asked him to do without hesitation. That's an incredibly challenging level of faith to meet, isn't it? But you know what? As we're about to find out, that's the type of faith that God rewards greatly. Or maybe he just got up early because he didn't want to tell his wife what he was about to do, right? But anyway, you decide. But here he is. God, I love you. And I'll do what you ask me. So in verse four, it says on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to the servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. Now Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I think of all the questions Abraham was hoping his son wouldn't ask that day, it was probably that one. Verse eight, it says, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, I don't know about you, but this is fascinating to me. Because at the time of this story, The Bible tells us that Abraham was about 120 years old and his son Isaac was about 20 years old. Now you can't tell me that a 120 year old man is able to overpower a 20 year old boy and bind him up and put him on an altar. Like that just doesn't make a lot of sense. 
I mean, maybe he had supernatural strength. But to me, it seems to suggest that perhaps somewhere on the three-day journey, somewhere on that journey towards the mountain, they had a conversation. And they opened up and Abraham told him what God had said and that Isaac somehow submitted to his father's will. And as I see that, I recognise that it's a shadow of what Jesus Christ would do too. That He would submit His life to the Father's will. There's something in that. So let's keep reading. So, So Abraham binds his son Isaac, lays him on the altar on top of the wood. Verse 10, then he reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. I didn't say this in the first service, but this is something I've always loved. That the first time God called Abraham, He only said his name once. But the second time He called him to stop, He had to call his name twice. So committed was Abraham to what God had asked him to do. He says, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, He replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, He said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Which in Hebrew is Yahweh Yira, which we Translate to Jehovah Jireh. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You know, what's interesting to me about this name of God, Jehovah Jireh, which the Spirit reveals to us through Abraham's life is this is the only time in Scripture where it's mentioned. And yet it's one of the most famous names of God that we know. Perhaps that's because it's one of the most incredibly encouraging. Because to know that no matter what, God will provide. God will fulfill. God will make a way. In matter what situation, circumstance, whatever it is, God is our provider. But I want you to notice something really important, something that we can often overlook when it comes to seeing the reality of Jehovah Jireh in our life. And it's that what God had waiting to bless Abraham with, the provision that He had prepared for him to encounter, it wasn't revealed until God first saw two things. The first was that he first needed to see Abraham's obedience. You know, what I've found is that, and I've been guilty of this many times, is that we can tend to want God to provide first and then we'll be obedient second. God, if you just do this for me, then then I'll, I'll take care of that. God, if you could just fill up that for me, if you could just provide that resource, then I'll go and do what you're asking me to do. But what we find in Abraham's life is no, is that provision came after obedience. It was after he exercised obedience that then 
he encountered God's supernatural provision. And it wasn't easy obedience, as we've already said. It was radical obedience. It was incredible obedience. It was the type of obedience that no one would have understood. He couldn't go around and tell his family or his friends, hey, what he was about to do. And they're like, sounds awesome, go for it. I'm behind you, I'm praying for you, right? It required radical obedience. No one, he just, it was just between him and God. But on the end of that radical obedience, Abraham encountered the most incredible blessing. Because you see, he didn't only get blessed with his son back and he didn't only, he wasn't only blessed with a ram. God actually blessed him with so much more. It says this in, in verse 16, Genesis, uh, sorry, verse 15, Genesis twenty-two fifteen. it says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And so what we see is on the end of radical obedience, Abraham finds radical provision. I wonder if you've ever been, to, ever been to a carnival, maybe the Royal Adelaide show, and you played one of those sideshow games, right? Where you get some ping pong balls, maybe put it in the mouth of the clown and try and get the points, or you try to knock over some cans or, or something like that. If you have, at the back of the stall, they tend to have uh, something that looks, you'll see all the prizes up at the back of the stall, right? Now down the bottom there, all those little prizes, they're the ones that every player wins a prize. Regardless if you could get a single ball in the mouth of that clown, you're getting one of those prizes. You're walking away with something. But as you go up the back of the wall, at the top there, you see the bigger prizes. And the bigger prizes, not everyone gets a big prize. If you want a big prize, you gotta go all in for that one. I wonder if in the Kingdom of God, there's levels of provision for levels of obedience. I wonder when we connect with God and we give our life to Christ that, that everybody, everybody receives something. There's amazing things that God blesses us with just simply through our grace. But then I also wonder if there's some things that are hidden. Some things that are waiting for us on the top of the mountain of obedience. That we weren't aware that God had even provided. That if we just step out and believe in Him, there's amazing things that God has waiting for us. If we're willing to trust and be obedient to what He is speaking into our heart. You see, what if the very provision you're waiting on God to provide is simply waiting on you? What if it's just simply waiting on you? What if you just decided to go all in like Abraham did? Head up that mountain of obedience. Because maybe waiting up there, you'll discover the very thing that you were believing for. Maybe that's where the breakthrough is. Maybe that's where the provision is. Maybe that's where the supernatural peace is. Maybe that's where that breakthrough is waiting. Whatever it is, what if it's waiting on the other end of your obedience? You see, the first thing God was looking to see, I believe, was Abraham's obedience. Perhaps so Kenny could join me. 
But I believe there was a second thing that God was looking to see. I believe that God was also looking to see Abraham's willingness to offer up that which was most precious to him. See, I, I kind of wonder if in this story, Isaac represented Abraham's heart. And that when God saw that Abraham was willing to hold nothing back, to give him his whole heart, then God knew that he could trust him with what he was about to bless him with. He knew in that moment that he loved the blesser more than the blessing. Actually, can I, can I show you something that I think sometimes gets missed in this story? Something that I think that we often overlook, but I think is important. Let's put up Genesis 22 verse 14 again, if we could. Notice what it actually says. It says, so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. He called that place Jehovah Jireh. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. If you read that same verse, if you've got a King James or New King James Version, it'll say, in the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. In the place of full-hearted devotion, in the place of worship, in the place where you give God your all, where you give Him your whole heart, that which most precious to Him, there you will encounter Jehovah Jireh. You see, actually, if you go back to verse five, I think it is Genesis verse five, it says there, notice what Abraham says, this to his servants. It says, on the third day, Abraham looked up, saw the place in the distance. He said to the servants, stay here with a donkey while I and the boy go over there. Look at this, we will worship and then we will come back to you. We will worship. I thought it was a place of sacrifice. Abraham says, not a place of sacrifice, it's a place of worship. On the mountain. On that place that we go up to where we lift up the Name of Jesus. In the place of devotion, in the place of worship, there in that place, we encounter Jehovah Jireh. See, here's what we do. And I, I, did this, I did this this morning in our first service. I caught myself doing it. I started worrying about all the things that I have to do this week. There's a few challenging situations that uh, got coming up and just in, in people's lives in the church that we're just journeying them through. And I was thinking about these different things and I was thinking about some meetings I have to put together and I was thinking about all the stuff that I needed. And I realised, hang on, what am I doing? I'm doing God's job. God said, no, you focus on me and I'll focus on what you need. On the mountain of worship, on the mountain of surrender, on the mountain of wholehearted devotion, that's where you encounter Jehovah Jireh. He's saying, why? Why are you using all your energy worrying about stuff that I've already got sorted? He said, I'll see to it. Your role is to worship me and in that place, then you'll discover all that you need. See, often we'll come to church and I understand this is that we'll come and we'll be like, it's all about what we can receive. But if we make it all about Him, guess what? You'll get everything you need. Cause He is our provider. 
It's a promise. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He will see to it. If we just worship Him, I love it. God is so gracious to us. He's so gracious. He could go, no, you know what? You deal with it. You try and find answer. You try and find a solution. You got into that situation or just come upon you. Well, you know what? You got a brain, use it. And God's like, He didn't do that. I mean, of course He wants us to have wisdom. Of course there's wisdom found in one another and I'm, I'm blessed for that and there's a lot of wisdom. But the thing is, He's like, stop worrying about something. I'll, I'll worry about that. Instead, why don't you put your time and energy into doing what I've called you to do? Worshipping me, sharing the good news, reflecting my heart to those around you and all the things you need to take care of. In fact, Jesus told us that Himself. Didn't He in, Gen in, in Matthew 6.33, He says, Seek first the Kingdom of God and all His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus even told us, hey, just seek God. And guess what? That thing you worried about, He's got it. So whether it's a health issue, whether it's a relationship issue, whether it's financial, whether it's something to do with your business, whether it's just an unrest in your mind, the best thing to do is just worship God. Worship Him, God, I am obedient. I give You my whole life. I surrender to You, knowing and trusting that You are Jehovah Jireh in the place. When you make that decision, it's there, that place, that place of deciding to worship is Jehovah Jireh. So we're gonna worship Him this morning, amen. I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So He sent His Son Jesus to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, He said, I will take their place. So He died and rose again so that His death could pay the penalty for my mistakes and my past and His life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did and when you invite Him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm gonna say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what, maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, Thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace, and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace, and the Word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey, why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you, and we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.